you like to know how to make better decisions for your business, your people, or yourself? Do you want to recognize when you make errors of judgment that cause the quality of your decisions to drop, and when you are moving away from, not closer to, your goal? Welcome to Because There's More with Laura Ellis. For the next hour, Laura and her guests will share experiences and insights that will challenge and stretch your thinking, help you recognize your biases, and ultimately guide you towards more predictable and accurate decisions. You'll walk away from this show feeling better informed, more inspired, and a lot more confident about your next big decision. Now, here's your host, Laura Ellis. Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. I'm delighted to be here with you today. Thank you for joining me, and and thank you for spending time um, listening to the expertise that my guests uh, share with you. Our show already had a very strong start this year with seasoned, successful entrepreneur, investor, and Rewired for Success advisor, Heather Ramsey. Last week, Heather shared with us her methodology for bringing entrepreneurs' inner and outer game at an optimal flow where people end up uh, tripling or quadrupling previous business results. I have to say, I was so impressed with Heather's methodology, her success results, her business and interpersonal acumen that I decided to hire her. So I'll be working with Heather for the next uh, 12 months. And quite frankly, the show puts me in a weak spot because the people I talk to every Monday are so good at what they do that once I'm done with the interview, all I can think of is how do I get closer to experiencing their expertise? How do I get to absorb more of what they know that goes beyond just um, a a segment in in a radio show? So I have no doubt that I'll be feeling exactly this way at the end of my interview with my next uh, guest. And I'll probably ask her that at some point she takes me on as a client. Her name is Eldona Luis Fernandez, and she's a veteran negotiation and contract expert with over 30 years of experience crafting amazing, huge deals, both stateside and internationally, many of those in excess of $100 million. She's currently the CEO of Dynamic Vision International, a specialized consulting and training firm helping individuals hone um, negotiation skills as well as a nationally regarded keynote speaker, session leader, and panelist on the art of negotiation. Eldona, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Laura, so much for having me. It's a pleasure and a true privilege. And and the privilege uh, to have you here is is for so many different reasons, but uh, one of which we're going to discuss in more detail today, your your, uh, expertise and your skill set, the art and science of negotiation. It's something that so many of us need on on a daily basis, yet we get wrong because, at least in my perspective, and I'd be very interested to hear yours, um, we approach it as if it just is, like we don't necessarily see it as a specialized skill and we don't look at it or we don't um, acquire it in the 
way you would uh, a specialized skill from from the very beginning, having a clear framework and and uh, you know repeating it time and time again to get uh, better and improve it through practice. What's your perspective and on how people approach negotiation skills? Well, uh, a lot of people approach negotiation thinking it's something that's daunting or feeling it's confrontational. Uh, many people think that it's just a big boardroom with a bunch of people haggling over a big multi-million dollar deal. And what people don't realize is that we negotiate each and every day of our lives, both personally and professionally, because negotiations basically just the technical term for discussions and conversations to reach an agreement, whether it is that multi-million dollar deal, how to get your kids to do their homework or where to meet for dinner. Our lives are full of negotiation and just honing those skills will help us be able to master that in every area of our life. Absolutely. And, and then you were saying uh, about, uh, you know, just as a, a different term for communication. I, um, when I was preparing for, for the show, I, I wrote this note that at least in my perspective, negotiation is just as prevalent as communication. And, and that's basically exactly what you said. So let me just share few highlights from your um, career and from your bio because um, it's it's a very impressive career and just to do justice to what you're gonna to the knowledge that you're gonna share today I'm just gonna uh, point you know in bullet format uh, some of the key points in in your uh, bio so you're a retired Air Force veteran with 23 years of honorable military service uh, you have negotiated contracts from one dollar to over a hundred million both stateside and uh, internationally you were deployed to the Middle East after 9-11 and had years of experience in foreign acquisition you were selected for an assignment to the White House Military Office in 2002 and you hold a top secret security clearance and have been a trusted agent of the U.S. government for 30 years. As I said earlier, today you are the CEO of a, a dynamic, uh, of dynamic Vision International, a training and consulting firm. You wrote several books, uh, Think Like a Negotiator, 50 Ways to Create Win-Win Results by Understanding the Pitfalls to Avoid. You're also the author of Goping Rules of Engagement, Five Foundational Principles for Taking Control of the Handlebars of Your Life. And you are an co-author of the award-winning Heart of a Military Woman, which is a compilation of stories by, for, and about military women. And you're also a contributing author in Heart of a Woman in Business, Heart of a Toastmaster, Wake Up Women, and Motorcycles Diaries A to Z. Wow. When do you yeah, have for, time for to, to do all the things you do, Aldana? Well, uh, that's, uh, that's where you negotiate balance and how to you, like, go back to negotiation. You always look at negotiating in different ways. So I, I had to negotiate. Uh, kind of a disciplined schedule with myself to be able to do those books and do other things and um, it, it's all part of everything's a negotiation to me so it's kind of like okay um, I wrote my Think Like a Negotiator book in three weeks and I had a goal to do it in two weeks but I had a plan on how to do it and I kind of one of my negotiation strategies is prepare in advance, so I prepared a plan on how I could execute that, and I executed it. I guess some of that's military thinking as well, but 
um, yeah, that's how I kind of got all that stuff done. A lot, a lot of us have so much to learn from you. As I said, I, I can see myself being your client in the near future. Just before you tell us more about the things that you, you advise people and how you've experienced them yourself, what, how did you end up in negotiation in, in the first place? So I had kind of a rough childhood. I grew up with alcoholic parents. I dropped out of high school. I was kind of going nowhere fast. And I one day saw this commercial about the Air Force that said, Air Force, a great way of life. And so that sounded like an adventure to me. And I got my high school equivalency, and then I went and joined the Air Force. And I came in what was known as open administrative, meaning I got to choose my job when I got to basic training. And back then, computers was in the administrative career field, which sounds kind of interesting today, but uh, that's what I wanted to do. But my recruiter failed to tell me that there was slim to no chance that would be on the list. And so I get to basic training, I sit down, and getting ready to pick my job, and there's these list of jobs, and I'm looking that computers is not on the list, and I didn't know what to do. And I looked, and there was this job called contract specialist, and it had a higher required uh, score on the, the test that you had to take to get in the military. They were scored on different things. And you had a higher required score than all the other jobs, so I picked it not knowing what it was until I got to my technical training school and then ended up being a uh, contracts administrator and negotiator through my Air Force career. It's very interesting to me how we end up uh, making career choices, but saying that, you chose to stay in, in that field, even though you didn't know in the beginning what it was about. What held you in and, and so committed for all this time? Well, I enjoyed the military way of life, and I got the opportunity to travel, to live overseas, to go. And as a contracts person, I deployed to the Middle East after 9-11, and I, I lived in England for four years and deployed to Spain and Germany and other and Tunisia and other places. And my job was to negotiate the contracts for while we were in the deployed location. And it, it afforded me the opportunity to meet so many different people from different cultures, and it was just um, an exciting time. But I also, funny enough, ended up in my 23 years in the military doing five years of computer system administration off and on. So we had a mainframe computer system, so I got to play with computers anyway. <laughs> so uh, got to enjoy that. And then when I retired, I went into uh, being a contract negotiator for a defense contractor, so it's just kind of kept on enhancing my experience. I found out I was good at it and I enjoyed it, so I stayed. Excellent. And we talked already about um, uh, the fact that we'll be talking more detail about negotiations. And we um, agreed that people either are not aware that they're in the middle of a negotiation or they view it or they perceive it with some angst. What do you think uh, or what would you recommend to people they should consider um, as they prepare to enter a negotiation? And you were just mentioning preparation earlier. Well, I always say to, to prepare in advance, but the, the only way to get good at negotiation is to actually do negotiation. You can't flip a light switch and become an expert at anything. And negotiation is not something you can really learn from simply reading. You can learn some things, but in order to apply them and in order to get good at them, you have to go out and actually do negotiation. 
I created a three-day training that allows people to, to do that in a training room, but I also suggest people go out to, like, yard sales and swap meets to test their skills. And a, a lot of people, I do consulting and with people individually and as groups, and a lot of times people are like, I don't want to go do that. I don't feel good about that. But the only way to get good at that is to break through that, similar to public speaking. I'm a speaker as well, and I used to be petrified to speak in front of people. The only way I could get over that is to get up and speak. So you have to actually get out and do some negotiation to get better at it. So you mentioned uh, some of the responses that people give you that I don't want to, um, you know, to do that. Uh, what are some, some of the typical and more detailed challenges that you come across? What, what's holding people back from feeling comfortable? Uh, a lot of it is fear and fear of the unknown if you've never negotiated. And, and, again, like when I speak to a lot of people, they have this, oh, this is something I don't I don't know how to do or I don't do. I have a lot of people tell me, well, I don't negotiate. I don't need to learn how to negotiate. Uh, I had a guy from a nonprofit tell me that once. And they said, well, don't you go out and, and solicit donations and attempt to get people to sponsor your nonprofit? And he said, well, yes, I do. And I said, well... Don't you have discussions to make deals? Well, yes, I do. Well, that's negotiations. You're already doing it. And you think about honing those skills and then learning some strategies when you're preparing and learning how to ask questions properly in order to get responses to things to get a better deal and knowing what your walk-away point is and all these things that you think about, but it's something you have to be trained to think about before you go in. And a lot of people fear that because they don't really know what to think or how to think or how to prepare. When you know that and you've done it a couple times, that's why I suggest a yard sale or a training environment where it's a safe space type of thing or small stakes. You can get used to it and feel comfortable with it and then move on from there and build on those skills. You'll feel more confident. Uh, Building confidence is one of the most important foundational principles in negotiation. And feeling more confident helps you have the ability to do it more without feeling that overwhelming, daunting feeling about it. And, of course, confidence is is the basis of doing many of the skills that we acquire, doing them better, because it frees frees our brains from worrying about how we're doing uh, and actually investing our energy in how to do it better. You have a great um, uh, paper uh, that you've written, put together, uh, Seven Keys to Becoming a Master uh, Negotiator. Would you like taking us to what those steps are? One of the big things is to uh, prepare, to be prepared. Um, Going into a negotiation and preparing at that time, it's kind of, oh gosh, what what am I going to do? What am I going to say? You have to think about what you're going to do in advance and and kind of jot it down on paper or have have a thought about it, maybe kind of go through the negotiation in your head thinking, okay, this is going to be our discussion. This is how we're going to go through it here and there and what what things would, might they say and what responses might I have. And, and that's the same whether you're negotiating a big deal or maybe going to do a job interview. The job interview is a negotiation as well and thinking about, okay, if they ask this, I'm going to say this. If they ask that, I'm going to say this. Um, those are things that one might consider in advance and be prepared so when you sit down 
uh, you're already, you've already thought it out, and maybe they come with some questions that you thought of. And another thing in preparation is to um, do a mock negotiation. I always recommend people do a mock negotiation. And what that is is if you're going for an interview, have somebody pretend to be the interviewer. If you're going for a discussion for a contract, have somebody pretend to be the person on the other side. If you're going for uh, to negotiate some new rates on your your situation, have somebody pr- pretend to be the person on the other side negotiating with you. That way you've already felt it kind of in your DNA, and when you sit down and actually do it for real, you, you feel more confident, you feel more comfortable, and you feel more able to get the deal that you want. You have some very um, uh, distinct uh, advice in terms of people, uh, what they should do in a negotiating situation, like um, ask for what you want or use the power of silence. Can you elaborate a bit on that? Oftentimes, asking for what you want, we don't get because we don't ask. A lot of times, and especially I find this in women, men are more direct communicators where women are not typically. Uh, but we don't get because we don't ask, and women are typically taught not to ask. And you have to ask for exactly what you want. Not beating around the bush, especially if you're having a business discussion, you need to be direct and ask for what you want. And be prepared for the no. People don't ask because people say no three times automatically before they say yes. So we fear the no. But no is usually just a request for more information or Maybe they don't really mean no, but they automatically say no. It just comes out. So you have to kind of work on getting around that no and ask for what you want or ask for what you need. Uh, And then using the power of silence is one of those fantastic strategies. If you can get comfortable with the discomfort of silence, like if I were to just stop talking right now and there was just silence, it would cause a little bit of nervousness. And it does feel kind of tense, but if you just stop talking, you put your point out there, you stop talking, people need time to process. And if you don't have the time to process, we sometimes talk over the people and don't give them the time to process what we just said. You stop talking, you give them the time to process, and then they'll compile their answer and you can kind of adjust accordingly or respond accordingly, but using that power of silence, uh, I used that to help my sister get out of a bad car deal one time. Uh, She had bought a car she couldn't afford and drove it home, and we called the dealer back and said, well, we're going to bring it back, and they said, no, you're not, so we went in there, and I was discussing with the guy, and we were going back and forth, and he kind of said, well, frankly, I'm getting upset. And I said, well, I'm already upset. And I just stopped and glared at him, and it got really quiet in there, and he ended up tearing up the papers, and she got out of the deal. But the power of silence is a very strong negotiating tool. Very, very insightful. Um, Everything that you have said triggered a number of thoughts in in my mind. Um, In regards to um, ask for what you want, it's very interesting to me that uh, a lot of the people I deal with are very strong, critical thinkers. So when we discuss about what they need to ask for, we often put up the rejection 
on behalf of the person we're going to ask instead of just focus on what we need to do. Do, do you find that with uh, some of your clients that they already anticipate that the answer is going to be no? Well, I think we all automatically expect that because think about uh, going all the way back to childhood. You were told, no, don't touch that. No, don't go there. No, don't do this. No, 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 no. So we're, and then you think about a lot of the things that we see in the media, and there's a lot of negativity in music. There's a, it, it's a lot of negativity out there for us to be attached to. So we're in a no kind of frame of mind to begin with, and you have to really switch that. So we're automatically in no, and that's why we go there, I believe. So switching that, and, and actually it can come down to, to cha- change that mindset, is to come down to actually being cognitive of what you watch, of what you read, of what you put in your space uh, for the majority of the day. Some people leave the TV on all day if they're at home working, and there's a lot of negative messages that come across that. So we're automatically programmed to that. You have to deprogram that no. People automatically go there for that reason, I think. Very interesting. And I know that you have uh, um, an NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming Qualification, so you will understand better than many other people the, the importance of language uh, on, on how we interpret the world and how we influence um, others. Are there some uh, negotiation um, strategies that people could use across, uh, irrespective of what the negotiating scenario is, Eldona? Well, all the strategies that we're talking about and all the strategies in my book are, can be used in personal or professional life. I used to negotiate with my kids all the time, their curfew time, and it, I would use the same strategy there as I would in negotiating a multi-million dollar contract because you're dealing with people and although the stakes are different, the strategies are still the same. One of the foundational strategies is to own your power. You have to be powerful within yourself to be a confident negotiator and getting better at it. I can't help myself because I've been doing it so long. I snap right into negotiation mode. And it's something you have to train yourself to do to consider and just kind of stand in your power and own your power and, and be powerful in that aspect. But another thing is to think like a negotiator, you have to understand that everything is negotiable, no matter what it is. Even a strategy for negotiation is being willing to walk away. If, in fact, whatever is being presented to you is not accessible to you, knowing what your walk-away point is a negotiation strategy and having that in mind before you even have a discussion is a powerful way to set up your negotiation. It applies to anything. Okay, somebody invites you to dinner. You can walk away from that or you can negotiate the time. Oh, I'd like to be there at 7. Well, I I can't make it till 8. Well, that's too late for me. Could we do 7.30? Oh, yeah, I think I can make that work. You've just done a negotiation and those strategies are the same. That was splitting the difference. That's the same for a a term and condition in a contract, a price, whatever it may be. Um, the strategies are all the same. It's just applying them in a different situation. So before I even um, get to think about working with you, Eldona, I, I definitely want to buy your, your book. So tell us more. How can people engage with you? Because I can see this being a very hot topic for everyone today, wanting to buy a book, wanting to work with you. How can they do that? Uh, well, you can visit me at uh, www.think.com like a negotiator.com 
uh, coming out this week. Actually, we have the 52negotiatortips.com, which is a free weekly negotiator tip program coming out. We're launching it this week. Uh, that That's going to be up soon. You can sign up on my website to connect with me and get my newsletter, get a free download of the Contracts 101 guide. Um, also, find out information about my upcoming Think Like a Negotiator live training, which, like I mentioned before, has experiential components to learn negotiation in the training room so you can hone those skills before you go out into the real world and do that negotiation. But thinklikeanegotiator.com, Eldana at thinklikeanegotiator.com if you have any questions. And follow me on Twitter, Eldana F, and uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Eldana Luis Fernandez. So connect with me on social media as well. And Aldona, just for the people who uh, want to immediately uh, start doing something about getting better at negotiations, what would be the top three things that you would recommend to them? Well, definitely go out and get some negotiation skills, whether it be going to a yard sale and start to make little offers on things. You have to do negotiation to actually... um, Get better at it, like I said. Uh, one of the best tips and strategies that I have is understanding that you have to own your power, like I mentioned before. That's a, that's a big thing. You have to be confident in order to be a good negotiator. And I have so many different strategies to do, but one of the, the key things to do in actually having a negotiation be more successful to me is to build relationships first. Connect with people. Connection builds trust. You want to build that know, like, and trust factor so you can have a good agreement. Uh, So build those relationships and make those connections. I can certainly anticipate that uh, there will be a lot of interest to this. Um, How do you feel about coming back on the show again? Oh, I'd love to. I love to share strategies to help people be negotiators and be better versions of themselves. That's my passion. That's my purpose. So I'd love to. Thank you for asking. It will be my pleasure. And one of the things that you and I discussed and we did not have a long time to uh, to talk about was uh, how, do, how do women negotiate? And, and you know, I have a, a personal perspective as well. I find that in my clients, in my whole experience, um, men seem to be somewhat more focused um, and women sometimes have a broader perspective, generally speaking, uh, which in negotiation can sometimes work um, against uh, women because we have, uh, I say jokingly to my clients that we all have a voice in our heads that tells us that we shouldn't do this or we're not good at this. Uh, but I say that men have one or two and women have 50. Yes, sometimes I have to back myself off from negotiating. Like, oh, don't negotiate this. Don't just, just, just accept it. Just accept it, you know. That's amazing. People kind of recognize and they already prepare that, uh, you know, you will be doing it. And even you are, are watching yourself doing it. That's very interesting about how capable we are to continue to grow and, and become not the people we're f- even five years ago. So we were having an interesting discussion. There's so much that I'd like to ask you. Uh, but one of the things for sure, knowing that we're a global economy today and uh, most organizations uh, do business in different parts of the world, how do you negotiate in different culture? What has your experience been around that? 
Well, like I said, I deployed to the the Middle East at, after 9-11. I was over there for four months negotiating with people from so many different cultures and countries and uh, like Canadians even and people from Jordan and Oman and Qatar and just every, everywhere over there in that region. And the thing that I, and I was, I was stationed in England for four years. I went to Spain. I went to Germany. I went to Tunisia. I went to all kinds of different countries. And the thing that, that I noticed, I guess, being an American is that most Americans kind of think that, okay, we, this is my culture and this is what you have to negotiate in. But if you're negotiating with somebody from a different country or culture, you need to learn something about where they're from and their culture and how they do business and have some respect and do business. It, it, sure, you can do business the way you're used to, but you need to have some respect and do, understand how to do business the way they need to understand it. And you'll have a lot more trust and build relationships a lot faster if you connect with them on that level and understand maybe a custom or a tradition from their country or something along those lines. And I was going to places where business women, women doing business were very, was very untypical and learning how those countries did business. For instance, in Spain, they wanted me to be able to attempt to speak Spanish. And I know my last name is Fernandez, but that was a married name. I don't speak Spanish uh, fluently. So I understand a lot of words, but I can't really converse in Spanish, but I attempted it and they appreciated that. And it built a great relationship. They kind of helped me along. So it's, it's things along those lines to have an understanding in order to build a better business deal. I once heard, and, and I wonder what's your perspective on that. I, I heard uh, um, a speaker once say that, of course, getting to know the how the locals uh, do business is very important. But um, she suggested that, it is enough to travel to another country to understand their culture. And I felt that was a bit far-fetched. Of course, sometimes we're in situations where we need to pick up the most very quickly. Do you have any recommendations on how, what do people need to do to learn about the other country and what's important uh, for them to know? Well, you can do, obviously, we have online, but you can find anything on the Internet. Do some research about the, the culture and the customs and courtesies. When, when I was training to do contract work in the Middle East, because obviously the military has a big presence in the Middle East, I would, uh, we would have specialized training and we would have training, we'd, we would have mock negotiations. And the, for instance, to do business in the Middle East, it was very offensive if you just walked into a place and said, oh, I want to buy this, give it to me, let it go. They wanted you to sit down and have a conversation, build, a, have some tea, build a relationship, have a, a discussion before you even talk business. And being in a hurry like most Americans are wasn't going to work over there. So you have to kind of understand what the mindset is in the area that you're going, even if you're doing a Skype interview or a Skype discussion or maybe even email, you just need to understand maybe certain words that are offensive or certain words that are uh, positive and uplifting in their culture so you avoid those things and actually make the relationship in the business or whatever discussion you're having go a lot smoother. 
Do you always try to learn some of the local, you know, common language, like thank you? or? Oh, I do. I do. Now, when I was in England, I traveled all over Europe, and, and you know, we've uh, heard the thing about how France doesn't like, uh, Paris anyway, in, t- in particular, doesn't like uh, the American culture. That, that was a rumor that's long been um, known, I guess. And I found that not to be true because I took the time to make different connections and not, I, I saw, I guess you could say, what we call the ugly American, where Americans were pushing their way around and wanting to have their way like they would here in the U.S., but it doesn't work in other countries. And um, it's just, I actually got out and experienced the different cultures. When I lived in England, a lot of Americans stayed on the base. I actually got and connected with different people, made friends, did different things, joined different groups, and had a great time because I kind of opened up my mind to kind of have an understanding and experience different people in different places. I've traveled all over and kind of I do a little research online to see kind of what uh, maybe what the interests are or what different things I might expect. So when I go into a, a different place, I know that, okay, this is, this is the way they like to operate here. I'm going to kind of dive right in and see if I can get connected. Even so much as down to inflection, like in, in England, the inflection and tonality is a little bit different. Uh, obviously, they speak English, and they use some different words to describe things than we do. But there's different tonality and inflection that mean different things. And just learning that, um, you can build a level of respect from that and build a foundation to build a good relationship on. Absolutely, because they they see it as you recognizing who they are rather than, you know, um, assuming that they need to uh, adopt or adapt to you. I lived in the UK before I came to Canada, and I so often catch myself uh, uh, where the inflection of my voice goes upward. And I'm not British by birth. I'm British by adoption. I'm Eastern European. Um, And it's quite interesting because um, in my situation, I don't want to lose the the British uh, influence in my language, but you almost adapt um, without knowing, uh, because I'm exposed to, to the way Canadians speak. We also talked about women and how women negotiate or engage in, in negotiations differently. Tell us more. What have you ex- experienced? What have you seen uh, in women when they negotiate or are about to enter a negotiation? Well, like I mentioned earlier, uh, for the most part, women uh, versus men in communication, women are, are not as direct. Men are, are inherently direct communicators. Women are not because we're more nurturers. We have children, take care of the family, those type of things. So our, our I guess, kind of where we come from is from a nurturing perspective, and that's where the, the negotiation feeling confrontational comes in and uh, but women, it's, it's again, goes back to training and understanding negotiation by doing it, but it's changing that mindset. Women don't like to ask. Women feel uh, a little less confident because we aren't direct communicators, and it feels confrontational. And you have to get comfortable with that and understand that that's just the language of business. And business meaning 
maybe in a business, in your employment, even as a parent. Uh, if you're a parent and you tell your child to do something and they say no, you may have to come up with a strategy to negotiate with them to get them to do it. And those skills that you use to negotiate that, you can just transfer over into your employment life, into your business life, wherever that may be. You already have those skills and just realizing you have them and building on it and building that confidence from within is uh, paramount to being successful in negotiation for women. You made a very um, great point there about uh, transference of skill. I think that uh, we are in many situations where we don't realize that we've actually deployed or or demonstrated that skill before. And, and this is just one of the ones that uh, uh, is in that situation. I don't personally have children, but I know that a lot of my female clients have children and do a great job um, negotiating with their children, young or teenage or older, um, the ways around behavior and accountability, yet it seems to be a complete different thing when uh, it happens at work. Any opinion um, as to why that happened? Why is that transference so difficult to be seen? Uh, maybe it could have something to do with just being in the workplace. Now, especially with the male-dominated environment and women sometimes tend to think, well, how, how do I operate in this environment? I, I don't really know how to operate in this environment. I'm, military, obviously, is a male-dominated environment and understanding how to operate in that without appearing to be witchy or whatever the the term is that women, oh, gosh, she's just too overpowering or whatever. It's a fine line and a fine balance that you have to kind of do a little trial and error and just understand that you don't have to be pushy to be direct, but being direct means going back to asking exactly what you want in a direct fashion, asking powerful questions in order to get the response you you need to a, to a situation. I was a, a master sergeant in the military, and I had to lead groups of troops, men and women, and I had to negotiate with men most of the time. And it was an interesting dynamic. You have to set yourself up in a powerful position so they see you, oh, okay, this is somebody I can't push around because a lot of people think, oh, it's a woman, I could just push her around. If you see pictures of me, I'm kind of petite. And I maybe appear unassuming until I open my mouth and the power comes out and people are like, whoa, okay. But it's just establishing that power within yourself and kind of, again, going back to preparing in advance, looking at the environment and seeing the dynamic, the way people operate and uh, stepping into operating in that dynamic and coming from a power position. Uh, I always, one of those strategies I say is to use your leverage and influence. We all have leverage and influence in our life that we can use to negotiate a more powerful uh, outcome for ourselves. A great example of that is I was taking over a huge, uh, over $100 million aircraft maintenance contract. And I was taking it over, and the project manager for the contract, for the contractor was uh, a former F-4 fighter pilot in Vietnam, and everybody told me he ate nails for breakfast, he was going to eat my lunch, he was going to just mow me down, I was not, <laughs> I was going to be this and that, and I was like, oh my gosh, everybody told me this. But every, the person I took over the contract from, the government program office, that, oh gosh, this guy, he's going to tear you up. I thought, 
what am I going to do? I got to go over there in the power position. Just having master sergeant stripes on my arm was not enough. I here I am, a woman going into a big male-dominated aircraft maintenance environment, and I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What leverage do I have? It's going to put me in the power position to begin at, at the beginning of this, so I can set myself up with a firm foundation. And it dawned on me. I I ride a Harley. I've been riding Harleys for twenty years, so. I hopped them. At that point, I'd been riding, oh, I don't know, maybe uh, 10 years at that point or five years or something. I hopped on my Harley, put on my leather jacket, my helmet, rode over there, walked in with my helmet under my arm, and one of the guys comes up to me, oh, you the new contracting person? Yes, I am. Oh, you have a helmet. You ride a bicycle? No, I ride a Harley. And whatever (laughs) thoughts that they had in their head about what motorcycle riders were, especially Harley riders. They made us, might have thought, you know, the typical, oh, my gosh, outlaw, biker kind of thing. You could see it on everybody's face when I sat at the table. That caused me to start out in the power position. So you find out what kind of leverage that you have that you can use to put yourself in that position. You'll start out in a, tr- a stronger position, and it will, again, build your confidence. One of the things that you said that... Uh, it- it's very powerful, and I think it's, uh, it's hitting me uh, and wanting to make a point about it, is that you look for that leverage position at the beginning to, to establish that dynamic and to establish your uh, power earlier on. One of the things that I have seen, and I must admit probably more in, in male clients than in female clients, um, I think there's also a balance as to how much you do that or how long you do that for. Because what I heard from you is that initial um, uh, framing of the situation uh, changed the dynamic, but that from there on, you went on a uh, level playing field of negotiating. I often see people overdoing the power thing, like going on for too long to prove themselves. Um, Have you seen that in negotiation uh, interactions? Oh, definitely. As a matter of fact, I was, when I was stationed in one location, we had a female commander for a while. Uh, She was on her way out to another assignment, and she thought that she had to really throw her power around to be a woman in the military, and it was received very negatively by the people she led and by her peers. I just kind of watched it kind of come come along, and it's not something that you have to read each situation. There, There is another strategy about playing dumb, holding your card, just kind of not letting out everything that you know in a negotiation where you come to a situation like that and you're sitting down like, well, I'm, I'm just going to see what, what they come up with. I'm just going to hold my cards and not let them know everything I know. That, that depends, again, on preparing in advance, thinking about the situation, because every negotiation is different. And I always talk about negotiation from a win-win perspective, and we hear that term used a lot, win-win, win-win. Everything's win-win. It's become a buzzword. But in negotiation, you want to strive for win-win, which means that I'm not going to get everything I want. You're not going to get everything that you want. But as long as at the end of the day we're both happy and satisfied with the agreement, that's a win-win situation. And, and back to every negotiation is different. You have to prepare differently for everyone and think differently. Well, me riding my Harley someplace 
might have been too much for a different situation. I sometimes don't even reveal that I ride a Harley because the, oh my gosh, what? You do? The, the shock may be too much or maybe something that kind of hinders the negotiation depending on the situation. I, I don't always reveal that. So it's just reading each situation and making the decision of what strategy to use. And again, it's trial and error. I still make mistakes. I've been negotiating for years. I still make mistakes. Like, oh, why did I, why did I use that? Or why did I say that? Or if I would have said this. But again, most of the time I'm successful. I'm successful in getting huge discounts off of things, great deals, uh, win-win results everywhere. And that's what I strive for for my clients is to help them become better versions of themselves so they can get those great deals in every area of their life. Very, very interesting. Do you think, and and keep in mind, you and everyone out there, I am a woman myself, do you think that women worry more about the impression they create, including in negotiations? I heard you say win-win. I wonder if, um, and we know how important language is because it creates a whole world in in our head. I wonder if women um, interpret the win-win slightly differently than, than men do. And what I mean by that, uh, them trying to come out with looking good after it or being liked. What's your experience? Oh, definitely. And, and going back to how the media portrays women to begin with, uh, it, it's kind of we're always worried about how we come across looking good. Is this or we going to do okay here? Are we going to do okay there? I think a lot of that is media-driven. Um, one of the things I talk about as a negotiation strategy is looking the part, and that could be clothing or that could be your experience or whatever it is, um, how you present yourself, your marketing materials. And there's, there's always going to be people judging, and women have a tendency to want to be liked by everybody. I know I've, I've felt that in the past, and now i and I'm like, okay, that's not that big a deal. But nobody likes to be, I guess, dogged out or had something bad say, said about them or have some negative publicity or whatever. And there's no way to avoid that because we're in a society of people and not everybody's going to agree with us and not everybody's going to like us. And we have to learn how to have thicker skin, I think, and be okay with that. And it's tough. It's tough because, again, we go back to women are more compassionate beings, I think, because of our makeup, the way we're are maybe are hormonally constructed or our our beingness is. It makes us more sensitive to things like that. I, mean, I don't like it when somebody says something nasty about me or is rude to me or mean to me or whatever or doesn't like something or, or is negative about what I'm saying about negotiation. I had somebody take one of my, from the, the article you have about building relationships, and I talk about really connecting with people and, and finding out who they are so you can build a good relationship so you can have good business. Well, he took that and spun it in a negative kind of way, and uh, I didn't give it any, any energy, but it didn't feel good to see that, somebody spinning something negative about me. Nobody likes that, but it's understanding that that's going to happen, and the more that you're doing things and the more that you're out there it's something that you have to get used to and kind of work within yourself to build your own power and confidence and have an outlet to go vent that to somebody you always have to have uh, a buddy that you can go vent to and get rid of that stuff so you don't 
carry it with you. So you can just let it go and keep on going. And that having someone to, to vent to and someone who can help you create a different perspective, it's a very good advice and, and great insight to actually finish our show on because believe it or not we are at the end of the hour I've had an amazing time I, I know that I look forward to re-listening to the entire segment and, and taking notes and then of course the next thing I'm going to do I'm going to order your book Eldona and uh, then plan how uh, I can get you back with a number, uh, a couple of other uh, women dedicated to also uh, helping women uh, on top of helping everyone else. I hope you had a great week. Uh, I wish everyone out there uh, a great week. Don't forget to uh, listen to our show today and to the show next Monday. Have a great week and talk to you soon. Thank you very much, Eldona. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Because There's More. Join Laura Ellis again next Monday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to tune in because there's more. 